Welcome to another episode of It Simply Isn't Done. I'm Barry Petrucci. I'm Just Davenport. Together, we, we are, are the Irreverent, Irreverent Reverends. From Portage Chapel Hill United Methodist Church, we are at the corner of Oakland and Romance in Portage, Michigan, but you wouldn't even need to know that because we're everywhere. Are you? It is the recap of the Pentecost Sermon. Um, that was May 28th, Memorial Day weekend, Pentecost. It was our first summer worship, and Barry preached for us. One service. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people came. They did, yes. Folks showed up for Pentecost. Whew. And Memorial Weekend, and I had taken chairs out because we thought for summer, you know, probably a little optimistic, but once again... God has another plan. Yeah, we'll add or something like that. We'll add a few rows for future. Um, yeah, and you, it was your message was it's a fire again. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we are recording. I think it was just this. fire again, wasn't it's it? It's fire again, or just fire again? Fire. Just fire. Dot 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 again. Again. Yes, that is very that is very likely. Um, we're recording this Sunday afternoon because we have annual conference coming up, and this week is a bit bananas. Um, and if you've ever interacted with pastors on a Sunday afternoon, whoo, this will be a treat. So, Barry, you preached on the traditional Pentecost scripture that did. we find in Acts two. There's a lot in there, you know. There's just a lot there. there. And Sheila did a beautiful job she reading did. it this morning. She did. So, if you have not had a chance to hear that, and then Barry's message. We encourage you to do so, and we will catch you for some reflection. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of, the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. At this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each of them heard speaking in the native tongue of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, Standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all that live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, 
These are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Happy Pentecost, which is really happy birthday. It's the birthday of the church. Those of us who have been doing uh, Luke and Acts know that uh, the Gospel of Luke was the story of Jesus and uh, the, the coming of Christ into the world, and then Acts, the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. So happy birthday, church. And I just want to add to uh, what Jessa said, just a lot of, a lot of pride that um, this church steps up all the time. We had a week of uh, being able to provide for a family with a, uh, with a service dog. Um, we helped to move the Rahimi family into a new, a new uh, house, a much larger house that they've been able to rent, and people came together on Wednesday and all day yesterday, helped make all that happen. Um, so good work, Holy Spirit, through us. Amen? Amen? Pray with me. Gracious God, may my words become your word in the hearing of your people by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, the other thing is that we are under construction up here, in case you haven't noticed. Uh, the, uh, the chancel deck was getting a little bit bouncy, so they're doing some reinforcement work. Wind, breath, fire, the merging of life force with forceful living, right? John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, um, is attributed with saying, get on fire for Christ and people will come and watch you burn. <laughs> Maybe not a pretty picture, but Wesley was never accused of being terribly subtle. A point well taken, though. Pentecost is about this meeting of life force and forceful living. In short, it is about life in the Spirit of God. That spirit we call holy. Oh, what might life and the world look like if we really lived out of that spiritual center, out of that breath of God, out of that fire of the Holy Spirit that wells up out of our belly in energy and purpose, even in, can we imagine it at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, even in enthusiasm? <laughs> Listen to the kids, I'm going... I want that enthusiasm on Sunday morning. <laughs> I want to tell you a couple of stories out of distant history to pull us into a vision of living out of that fire again. 
At the turn of the common era in those years, let's say between 100 BCE and 100 CE, the Roman Empire was living, was, was having its way in the world. The empire was officially polytheistic. That is, they believed in and worshipped a myriad of gods who were held responsible for all that was seen in the natural world. For a good deal of that time, groups with differing religious beliefs were free to practice in marginal peace and quiet under the policy of Pax Romana, or Roman peace. They were conquered people, land and identity taken by an ever-expanding empire. But within that reality of occupation, they were given, they were given some autonomy and freedom of self-expression. But as is often the case in human affairs, the peace had its contingencies, right? Good behavior, no politically charged public speech. Oh, and always contingent on the moods of regional and national leadership. And so the peace of Rome was frequently broken. And the people that were living under the umbrella of Rome were frequently threatened. Jews and others were isolated, beaten, threatened into submission. Fear had folks shaking in the shadow of the great Rome. And as happens when bullies threaten us, choices would be made between fight and flight. Two distinct groups grew in the wake of this Roman oppression. Zealots, a political party of Jews and others, chose to fight, to stand up between, before the brutes, to take up arms against their oppressors and to hold off Roman aggression throughout the Holy Land. As John McCutcheon wrote some years ago, a hand that is empty soon curls to a fist and the zealots stood ready to fight. The Jewish zealots understood their uprising to be a holy God-ordained response to ungodly authority that left too many subservient and empty-handed. And so they were ready to go. But in contradistinction, the Jewish Essenes fled. They retreated to the Judean desert, de desert, biding their time quietly with rituals of cleansing, meant to set themselves apart from the rest of the world, even from the rest of the Jewish community. They tended to their primary mission of copying holy scriptures and their own community writings. Zealots, and Essenes came to live side by side, ironically, in the desert where the community of scribes quietly lived out their faith, while those who had simply had it took over the winter palace of King Herod in an act of political disobedience that was received as treason. And so there was fighting. In the shadow of the Dead Sea, the two groups took radically different approaches. While one prepared to fight, the other drew in deeper in the caves and caverns of the desert, fight and flight, two very different approaches by two very different groups of Jewish people trying to deal with the reality of an oppressive imperialistic government. As I visited Masada, where the zealots had their last three-year stand in a Roman winter palace, and as I visited Qumran, the desert home of the Essenes, now thousands of years later, folks, it's all indistinguishable ruin. Lots of stone, lots of sand, echoes of committed lives speaking as the winds blow through the remnants of civilization. The approach of flight and the approach of fight are both rubbed out in conquest and abandonment. It all looks the same now. 
only the contemporary explanation placards of archaeological digs tell the stories of the people who felt so very strongly back in the turning of the era. Strong fight or flight, one way or the other, they felt strongly and were, were memorialized in these pilgrimage spaces, in the rubble, in the rubble. Not much has changed in our world, right? We gather on this Memorial Sunday to remember that sisters and brothers continue to die in defense of principles and ideals we hold sacred in our patriotic hearts. Even when the issues are not entirely clear, even when there are serious misgivings about just what it is we are defending, just what it is we're fighting for. We rightfully at once give benefits of doubt and all do honor to those who have offered the ultimate sacrifice, and we do remember. We pay tribute just as all generations of all people in all places have given tribute to the fallen and the, <clears throat> excuse me, and the heroic. And we pay that honor today and we pay it tomorrow. <clears throat> With you, I grieve I grieve <clears throat> every young and old person whose life is taken away by ambush or roadside IED or sniper or friendly fire or old age lived out in VA hospitals. The closer those lives are to stories of our little towns and cities, the deeper we grieve, right? They could be our own offspring, our own prodigy, and indeed they are. And they are our parents and they are our grandparents. The tradition of patriotism, patriotism has us stand in honor and salute. The tradition makes us mindful of lowering and raising flags. It tears us apart in the debates between supporting troops and supporting causes, and we say, rightfully, war is hell. Certainly first for those who fight it, but certainly also for those who make the decisions of engagement and support. It being Memorial Sunday, we might make do with hugs and tears and words of deepest honor, and it's right to do so. And yet, it's also Pentecost Sunday. It is the day we remember the gift of the Spirit. It's the day we remember the beginning of this community, global community called church. And the patriotism of a people cannot go untouched by the Holy Spirit that rips through closed doors and demands a place in our consideration of just what it means to be people of faith, standing in that gap between, between fight and flight, between the zealots of fighting at all costs and the Essenes of passive monastic living at all costs. The followers of Jesus were all gathered together on Pentecost. They were gathered, you see, because this was already a Jewish holiday, and these were predominantly Jews who were gathered together. It was a holy day connected to the commemoration of God's gift of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. They were together as observant Jews, knowing the rituals, knowing the commemoration, knowing what was expected and knowing what to do. But just as the Spirit of God cut loose on Sinai and gifted Moses with hand-inscribed ta ta tablets, tables on ten laws, so too the Spirit of God breaks into this closed-up room and does the always unexpected, always unexpected. 
Wind blew and fire danced on the heads of this august group of followers from many nations. And in what is often read as the reversal of the Hebrew story of Babel, where God confuses languages so the people cannot communicate, here the wind and the fire brought a common language of understanding to that gathered group. The fire of God in the wilderness before Moses and the leading the nation breaks loose here in dance and ecstatic speech in such a way that observers thought they had been tipping a bit too much of the sacramental new wine. (laughs) Fifty days after Easter, the Spirit comes and turns the sanctuaries of our churches red, orange, The Spirit comes and tears up the floors and starts putting new wood in. All of this because of the passion of the Spirit of the living God. And we embrace some gift that God in Christ still has for the world. I believe that the gift stands in the gap between fight and flight, between violent confrontation and passive detachment. If we look at the life of Jesus, that one our faith holds to be at once fully human and fully divine, at once man, at once God, we have a model of one who stood in the gap between fight and flight. Jesus did not pick up the sword when ideals or flesh were threatened. He did not organize the followers into militias to secure their place in the political world. He did not slap the face of the one who betrayed him or kick the butt of the one who denied him. He did not reach for the throat of Pilate when the governor leaned over the prisoner and pushed him on the nature of truth. He did not spit down in the face of the centurions who denied him water as he he gasped his last breath. Now, before you think I'm painting a Jesus wimp picture, notice some other things he did not do. Some other things he did not do. He did not hide from the public eye. He did not ignore his detractors. He did not go to the desert and join his siblings in spiritual community, hand-copying commemorative editions of Holy Scripture, though they would be worth an awful lot today if he did. (laughs) Jesus did not avoid Jerusalem where there was certainly going to be conflict. He stood up, walked, and rode into the city and engaged the conflict. Jesus, this one like us, took a third way, folks. He stayed connected. He sought understanding. He remained confident that any person, any power, any principality could be redeemed. Amen? Any person, any power, any principality could be turned around and made into something new simply by by showing the powers a mirror reality, by staying engaged, demonstrating truth, and not being willing to play the games of fight or flight. That all may seem amazing. It may seem superhuman and downright impossible, but you and I see parents do this every single day. At least on their best days, they do it every single day. Kids can be pretty rough. Parents drawing lines in the sand and smacking a punishment with hand or belt, eh, Parents drawing lines in the sand and then drawing another and another and another when the child blows it are neither the most effective kinds of parenting. Neither fighting nor fleeing make for sound parenting models, right? Consequences with continual engagement is where it is at. The conversation is never closed and the love is never withdrawn. Maybe you saw this. Keith and Kristen Stonehouse have an apparently precocious and hungry six-year-old who managed to order over $1,000 in deliciousness from Grubhub. 
He did it after his doting father let him use his phone uh, for some bedtime games. Apparently, Dad ordered dinner, then left the app open on the phone. Dear child hid in the basement and made the orders for the feast of a lifetime. (laughs) Mom told the news that she and Dad talked with their child in the morning to explain that what was done was really stealing. And to drive the rather abstract point home, uh, the birthday piggy bank was opened and $150 to $15 went to mom and dad. And then the neighbors were invited over to share the feast that the kid thought was going to be his own. Lesson learned, right? Maybe. Time will tell. And yet this is clearly a spirit of wonder and joy that takes something that would legitimately garner anger and justify punishment and form it into a lesson that also offered an opportunity for community to come together. Amen. It's a spirit thing, folks, a fresh wind kind of thing, a tongues of fire dancing on gathered heads thing, a spirit that forges always fresh opportunities. So as we gather before the mystery of fire and wind, surely believing that it is something to do with how we will engage powers that disrupt the carefully arranged lives we live, Jesus steps up and reminds us that true life emerges from all of our messy places from elemental life, forged of earth and wind and fire. The basics become something totally new and transformative to us. The basics, like bread, like wine. May this be so for us today. All God's people said, amen. Amen. We're back. (laughs) We are back. We're still rolling, but we're back. Um, I wouldn't say better than ever, but we're back. So, Barry, what <laughs> was... <laughs> what were you doing? What were you thinking? No, what was your... Uh, if you had to distill what you wanted folks to take away, what would that be? Well, you know, Pentecost is... is it's a big text anyway, and then it's dropped in Memorial Weekend, and so we have this this kind of clash of our allegiances, you know. And um, I wanna I wanted to not just ignore that it's Memorial Weekend, but I did want to say that um, to to be um, imbued, as it were, with the Holy Spirit, to, to receive the Holy Spirit, is to receive a piece of, a piece of Christ. And uh, there's no small piece of that, that, mm-hmm. that uh, Jesus made sure that he, he was not going to be stuck in the traditions of either fighting or running, uh, fight or flight kind of thing, and was, was doing a third way. And I've talked about this in, in a ver- variety of ways in sermons before, but um, this week I wanted folks to understand... Uh, to receive this idea that the that the spirit gives us the gift of being able to discern between the fight and the flight and find uh, a third way and i tried to give some examples of how jesus did that but also you know with some fun and uh told uh, the story of the kid that that did a thousand dollars worth of ordering from from uh, yeah yeah and and the parents dealing with that and uh, I think that we've got tons of examples in our lives of how we do that. Uh, and every time we allow ourselves to do that, it's a spirit at work, I think. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, I have a few thoughts and questions. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. In that order, Ooh. thoughts and questions. Uh, yeah, in that, in that order. I appreciated the look 
um, at kind of the fringes of, of folks, um, the Essenes and the Zealots, and kind of setting them up at the, as the extremes of the fight or flight. Yeah. And how, you know, visiting their sites today, you know, it's... It's, it's all the same. It's all the same. It's all the same. And I think that framing is helpful for the spaces we find ourselves in. Um, if you think about whatever whatever fringe you might be on or what are what we align with ultimately we have we have one one ending so let's be let's be thoughtful about what we contribute to while we're here but it's also i think a helpful just laying the land i think people kind of forget and we think of jesus um existing today a lot as opposed to the actual culture in which he was in so anytime we do framing of that i think is really helpful and you dropped in pax romana that was a good time (laughs) Who doesn't like a good Pax Romana? Well, people hear it. You know, I, I don't culturally. One of my favorite pizzas. <laughs> but I, I don't know that it, it often gets kind of unpacked or explained. Um, so I, I just appreciated that context and that background because it's helpful to remember what Jesus was speaking into. Um, I'm curious, though, when, when we talk about fight or flight, um, you know, there are biological responses that we kind of take to the extreme. So understanding that they're biological responses, how do you, how do you grapple with uh, that being part of our, you know, lizard brain (laughs) when God created us a particular way and to be good, you know, and yet we have these, this propensity towards violence. Yeah. You and I, you and I have talked a number of times about God's will and our will and how those (laughs) align. Um, And um, I I think we do have, we do have the biological responses, um, but I don't think that those biological responses uh, stand um, outside of our ability to control them. Mm -hmm. Um, I may, I may full want to go in and, and, and smack you upside the head I choose not to do that, um, and it, it may be my initial response. It's not even like it's not even I want to do that. It's my initial response, particularly, you know, if if I get hit first or if I see someone uh, hurting or intending to hurt someone that that I care about, um, or even someone that that I don't even know, but see something uh, an unjust action on the street, I may want to immediately jump in and and do the thing that uh, I'm biologically set up to do uh, and I can choose not to do that um, is that a, is that a is that a better path I think so I think I think Jesus pretty consistently showed that uh, there's a decision to be made and I think too we we talk about fight or flight culturally in a very uh, non-academic sense yeah but um, thankfully for many of us it is rare when we are actual, our lives are actually threatened, right? Sometimes our systems might feel like that um, because of situations we put ourselves in or we're stressed in ways where we can articulate stress, but uh, we're not actually, our life isn't actually being threatened at the moment, but we have this kind of fight or flight response. And I think too, we know that, I mean, the more trauma you incur, the, the more kind of like hyped up that is, but it's always fascinating to talk to folks about this because they'll I have heard people articulate, well, here are these biological responses, and they must be a reason um, that nonviolence doesn't really work out for humans. 
And I'm always like, that's interesting. <laughs> Let's talk more about that. Um, because the more you uh, the more you experience violence and perpetuate violence, the more that sets up, you know, yeah. your your response in that way. So making those intentional choices um, otherwise into a third way, I think is really important and it there's a lot of lot of space for us to do that, not just particularly with violence, but other other behaviors we don't really love about ourselves. It's interesting to me that that I hear a lot of uh, folks from particular segments of the Christian tradition, well, not even just Christian, but but religious groups that are that are more conservative, and go to um, well, it, it is God has formed us to be able to defend mm-hmm. and to to be in that position. And it's and it's interesting that the that those are the same folks that have less of a propensity to agree with theories of evolution. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, isn't how, that interesting? Yeah. So how does this work? <laughs> uh, because, because if, if we, um, if we understand that, that we get this fight flight response from, a, from an earlier piece of our evolutionary process where th- that, that very fast reaction was necessary, was necessary for our lives for survival. Um, things have changed, right? Mm-hmm. And our brain has evolved over time so that we're able to mitigate that immediate response and think it through. Um, I don't know where it was going with that. But it was absolutely interesting, I'm sure, to everybody listening. <laughs> well, I mean, it comes up in these kinds of conversations. So I always think it's kind of worth chatting about. Another thing I think is important um, is that I have encountered... That as someone who is, um, who is generally anti-war, people make assumptions about what that, what they think I think about Memorial Day or mm-hmm. Veterans Day. Sure. Um, so I was really grateful that you incorporated that and mentioned that because it's on a lot of people's hearts and minds. And I'm not sure if you have encountered those same assumptions about. Oh sure. Yeah. So I and, thought we could some, unpack that and, a little bit. And some of them for me were justified. I mean, I was, uh, I was a kid a kid in Vietnam and you know my siblings were old enough to be called up and and uh, oldest brother was 4F and and uh, my next brother was all set to to go to Canada when things um, finally came to an end Um, but I had I had definite opinions about it all and I carried those opinions really up until my first church alone in Grand Rapids at Olivet Church and and one of the the guys there who I dearly loved, um, John Pullen was a, a, a World War II B-17 uh, navigator, and um, and he listened to me my first year, and took me aside and had a long talk with me about the decisions that go into war, mm. and um, and that was really helpful. It's really helpful, and 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 my father-in-law as well, World War II vet, now 100 years old, and listening to um, listening to the stories, and yet how hard it is for them to tell the stories. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think both so both things can be true. I can I can honor those who fight. I can honor those who give the ultimate sacrifice, and I can also say that as an American that. Uh, I believe it's it's unconscionable for us to spend the amount of money that we do. Uh, on we, I don't think war people machine. should be in that position <laughs> to have to make that ultimate sacrifice. Well, well, yeah. And and I, on the one hand, 
feel the same way. On the other hand, I understand that there are all kinds of choices that, yeah. that are made, some of which I benefit from every day. Of course. Yes. It is, it is really complicated. It is really complicated. And I think there's the um, understanding big picture hey, this is, this is where I want to be. And then the lived experience of humans we encounter and um, what their service means to them or their family service and what that looks like. Um, I, you know, I think folks that are my age um, and a little bit older, all, all of our grandparents were involved in the war, um, in World War II particularly, and some in the Korean War. I mean, so there wasn't any... We got the when grandpa could talk about it, maybe conversations like reflecting back on life. Um, and then hearing from our parents like, Oh, this is what we heard, you know, sort of stuff. Um, you know, and then if you live in a rural community, I had, there's a bunch of uh, kids right out of high school, um, who graduated and fought in Afghanistan and most of them came back. You're right. But it's just, it's yeah. a complicated issue to think like this really intersects with our, with humans and you and I might not have a ton of political theories on war, but um, we spend a lot of our time with people and dealing with their deep places of pride and pain and joy and frustration. And for our service members, that often comes up because it's complicated. Um, and finding a safe place to land and talk about that with is, can be kind of hard. So I was grateful. Well, yeah, you and you and I both both lived and worked and, and had our beings in spaces where um, folks pretty poor and uh, and disproportionately those are the folks that are, that are going to serve um, because they feel like their their options are fewer and they're mm-hmm. probably correct that their options are fewer. Um, you know, a disproportionate number of people of color in in uh, in the military. So those are things that are. That I, I just think we need to continually be mindful of and ask ourselves uh, about the the need to prepare ourselves as we do for war and uh, and it's tough right now because we're you know we're we're seeing a, a recurrence of go- cold war attitudes and um, yeah a and, land war in fear, Europe land yeah. war in Europe and 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 uh, you know a re-energizing of of the nuclear threat mm-hmm. it's just weird. It's a, it's a complicated time, and we're humans that hold complicated things. Um, it's not, I think people, like I said, make that really quick assumption, like, oh, you're progressive, and generally, not always perhaps, but generally anti-war, so then you must, so therefore, <laughs> you must believe X, Y, or Z. And that's not really the case, particularly with these holidays, Memorial Day and Veterans Day, uh, let alone all the time, just seeing people for where they're at and their hurt and their pride, like I said. Well, that gets us to the third way conversations. Third way. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of where, uh, where we ended with the spirit kind of entering us in this place of the third way. And you talked about parenting. And earlier this week, you and I had a conversation about that, how, how it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to kind of be in that space. And it takes that intentionality that you were talking about between the fight or flight um, and some days you have it and some days you don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and we, we, you know, we hope to God that the kids don't break in the process as we're yeah. trying to figure out the, the, the best way yeah. uh, to parent it. And it's, and it's hard. Um, so I think it's, it's not bad for us to think about, about uh, our spiritual selves in, in some of the same way that, 
um, I think it's helpful. It's helpful for me to think about God parenting me mm-hmm. in the process of my development, and uh, um, and that 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 the spirit remains engaged with me even in all of my you know bizarre opinions and, and interactions <laughs> and, and all of my introversions and um, stays engaged and, and has an expectation and empowers me to stay engaged as well. So it's not just an expectation without without giving me resources to remain engaged in, in spaces that are between fight and flight. What it was making me think, because not everyone has the has the experience of um, parenting, but we, every single person has had to be in a situation with someone they find perhaps irrational and or challenging. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and maybe I mean, we're co-pastors. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. It's still Pentecost, buddy. Um, <laughs> what, let me, let me think. Okay. So, it made me think about how um, sometimes those situations involve practice and it made me consider like, oh, the spirit is inviting us um, and challenging us to be in that space because it's kind of like a muscle that grows. Um, and, you know, there've been folks that I've, I've had to work with closely or X, Y, or Z. I'm like, ah, I really, I really just don't connect with this person and they really grind my gears. And I have found um, that instead of, you know, removing myself, because it's not like I was being harmed or anything, I just had to practice loving that person in real time in that moment. And that practice allowed, uh, you know, my muscle to grow or whatever we would say, that ability to grow. And it, I, th- I think about that um, as someone who, who has to parent. Um, and it's, it's an interesting con- consideration that the spirit doesn't only just exist there passively, but as inviting us into spaces wherein we can grow in love and joy and this third way space with one another. Yeah, there is a, a building of muscle memory, mm-hmm. you know, so that um, it becomes it becomes kind of a second nature and some things are harder than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do carry an awful lot of what we get from our parents. Um, mm-hmm. I came from a, a household where dad was, was pretty rough and pretty violent at times. And, um, and I carried some of that and had to unlearn a whole lot of that. Um, yeah. Sometimes do it all right. Sometimes the muscle memory is, <laughs> is a little reluctant. Mm, yeah. The learning and unlearning. To do our practice with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And, and, that's, and the cool thing is that the, the Spirit is not just there waiting to see how we're going to do, but actually give, <laughs> gives us the ability to... Yeah. To do that, uh, I do think it, it it works best when we give some space for that. Mm-hmm. Relinquish a little bit. Relinquish. Yes. Ooh. Ooh. Relinquish. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I had. Did you? There did you have go. anything else you needed to share via podcast? No, it was it was uh, yeah, it was a, a lot of. A lot of stuff going on in worship, and Sheila did a great job. So even if you don't go back and listen to the sermon, listen to Sheila, <laughs> read the text, because there's some hard names, place names, and people names in there, uh-huh. and uh, she does a, a beautiful job with laryngitis. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to be gone to annual conference, and uh, next Sunday, the Reverend Wayne Barrett will be preaching, and mm-hmm. um, we'll be 
doing a little video so y'all know what we're doing at annual conference. Yes. And uh, spoiler alert, Jess is being ordained. Woohoo! Yeah. Wee. Yep, so we'll catch you after that.